Hello and welcome to the Place to Place podcast. I'm Claire Dewhurst, the director of City Nation Place, which is the forum for place brands and place marketing. The idea behind this podcast series is to create a chain of conversations between place branding leaders to give you the opportunity to listen in to honest conversations about their challenges, the solutions they're finding, and the opportunities they're exploring to ensure that their place brand strategies deliver real economic benefits. We're really thrilled that you've chosen to tune in and I hope you enjoy the discussions. Welcome to our seventh episode of this Place to Place podcast. We're really happy to be back and continuing this chain of conversations between place brand and marketing leaders. I'm delighted to welcome back Todd Babiak, um, who regular listeners will know heads up the Brand Tasmania team and who were winners of our City Nation Place Awards Place Brand Strategy of the Year in 2021. Welcome back, Todd. And welcome to Monica Yule, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for Westgrove. Uh, Westgrove is the organisation that promotes the Western Cape province in South Africa across trade and investment events and tourism. So Monica, I know you and your team have also been very successful in our awards. And I'm looking forward to a great conversation between the two of you about the power and the challenges of place brand storytelling. And I'm going to hand over to you, Todd, to take the conversation forwards. Well, thank you, Claire. And uh, Monica, I've been lucky enough to visit the Western Cape a couple of times. I've been to that beautiful part of the world. And one of the things I love to ask people who care about and are thoughtful about where they are from is uh, what you feel like can only happen there. If you you had to tell someone, this is something that is so uniquely of this place, I don't think it could happen anywhere else. So there's two things. So I think at an emotional level, I'm going to say that the Western Cape truly, in my mind anyway, truly is the place that has everything. So you've got the most beautiful coastlines, you've got the most incredible mountains, you've got deserts, you've got sand dunes, you've got, you know, beautiful fertile parts of the country where we grow some incredible fruit and produce some immense wine. So it really is the place that has everything. And I've traveled to, I think it's 42 countries in the world now. So, so far, I think it's still true. (laughs) So that's the emotional benefit for me. And then at a more sort of experiential level, I'm going to say the one thing that the Western Cape in the tourism space does better than any other place I've ever been is wine tourism. So not, I'm quite sure there's wine estates that produce much better wine. And I'm sure that, you know, wine craft is something that a number of places in the world are really proud of, but wine tourism. So really creating a destination around your wine estate and around your wine product is something that is in my mind, world-class in the Western Cape. The story you tell, you're the chief marketing officer. Obviously this is really important. The story you get a chance to tell all the time you have sort of a, you know, your 30-second pitch, the clock is ticking? The place brand strapline that we always talk about is a place of more. And that is certainly agreed on across Westgrove and across the, the, the DMO. So it is the place of more, both in terms of the tourism team, as well as in terms of um, the investment promotion team, as well as the export team and the film team. So it is, it is that place where, the place of more, where there is just this incredible sort of range of choices and decisions you can make. Uh, and why is it like that? Goodness, that is the why. Is a quite, interest, quite an interesting question. So I think from a developmental perspective, it is the first place that was discovered by your European travelers way back when. So it is steeped 
as deeply steeped in sort of contemporary history as probably any other place in, in South Africa. It was therefore also the first place that was developed both for agriculture as well as then for export, essentially, because, I mean, that first trading station was nothing else than, you know, a place where people could purchase additional wares. And it is also a real sort of melting pot of religions and cultures and creeds and, you know, races, and you find everything here. And that's actually really just ramped up because of its scenic beauty. It has attracted international investors, but also international people that come here to live and that come here either as swallows, so they're here seasonally, and they add a real sort of flavor to certainly the town of Cape Town. And also decide to stay here and raise their children here. So our um, never-ending tourist campaign that's currently running in the UK and in Germany and Holland speaks to exactly those international visitors that came here on holiday and fell in love with the place to such a degree that they decided to settle down here, raise their family here and create uh, livelihoods here for themselves. So it is just that place. And I mean, Todd, you've said you've been here a number of times, so you, you've clearly also got the bug. You never run out of things to do. I mean, it's interesting, statistically, over 60% of the domestic tourism that happens in the province are from people in the Western Cape, so residents of the Western Cape that explore their own province, which is the highest of anywhere else in South Africa. Very interesting. But obviously, if you've been here, you can see that there's just the choices of what to do on a weekend or on an Easter holiday is just endless. One of the things that and any of us who work in place branding have to think about all the time is how do we how do we bottle up that sensual experience of being there and wanting to be back again? How do you take that strength you have in tourism, that experience, the destination side, and then have it spread out a little bit into other areas of what Westgro does, and then even broader as a community, how you all tell the story of your place. Well, I think you said the right word right at the end there, Todd. I think storytelling is the real sort of central um, piece to the puzzle. So, you know, similarly to, as you say, you know, you go to a wine estate potentially because you wanted to go see the art that's exhibited at this wine estate. You're exposed to the wine product. When you go back to where you live, you tell people about the wine, you create an export um, opportunity. By, you know, coming to South Africa to the Western Cape for a conference, you've been exposed to a place because of a business reason, but, you know, enjoy it so much that you go, go back home and you tell the story to your friends and family about how amazing it is and you want to bring your family back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so storytelling and creating opportunities for the place to tell its story but also to give the traveler or the visitor or the person that's ex exposed to your place brand the opportunity to tell their story of what it was like for them to be here. That storytelling thing is the nexus of everything. And certainly we here at Westgrow can confirm that there is no area within Westgrow that doesn't sort of you know, bleed into each other. So when we have a great investor conference here around tech, our convention bureau benefits because then they get lead generation opportunities through what is essentially an investment play. Conversely, as you've described, you know, get exposed to the wine product, suddenly you can grow your exports out of that sort of space. So there's that, that interflow is, and as you, I mean, you'll know, you, you know it better than anyone, that opportunity of really telling the place brand story once and then allowing that as a halo effect to impact on everything that you do and everything that you are trying to achieve for your place is, 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 Central. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this phrase from some of your partners in in the in the Western Cape who say, "Well, I'm not good at storytelling. I don't know how to do that. I'll I'll leave it to the experts. I'll leave it to Monica to do that." 
how do you how do you let them know that they can just relax into it? And when they tell the story of what they do, they are telling the story of the Western Cape. Look, I mean, some people just aren't extroverts and they just really don't want anyone to tell, hear about their story. But I think it really is about the curation and, and packaging of experiences and giving people the confidence to be able to step forward and tell their story. And, you know, again, just to stay with the wine tourism um, example for a moment, there's, the wine tourism experiences is everything from your seven-course tasting menu, which could win any sort of Michelin star competition, right through to some of my favorite stuff, which is that you can come onto a wine farm and just have lunch with the farm workers when they come off the fields and drink the wine whilst you're doing that and everything in between. And so the opportunities for then even just the farm workers to come and have a conversation with you and tell their story and tell the reality of, of what wine tourism means to them is, you know, it's, it's incredible. We try to find those tourism champions and those sort of experiential champions that already have a strong belief in their own story to kind of step forward. We find those, we, we profile those, we promote those, and through that create a groundswell where other people can say, oh, if they can do that, then I can do that too, and sort of create real sort of connected um, economies for people that really should be telling their stories. And so much of that storytelling, we want to focus on the positive. We want to make people feel good. Where, where I'm from, where I'm working, Tasmania at the moment, when we did our research, we spoke to people who really wanted to understand culturally what makes this place different. And we spent a lot of time with each person we spoke to. And, and a lot of time, they did also want to talk about the difficult history in this place. We have here a history of colonialism, even cultural genocide, at least attempted cultural genocide. Lots of obstacles that people had to overcome and hardship, just difficulty in this place. As you know, it was a, it was a penal colony. And then it, it does inform our present, and it actually makes the good stuff possible in a way, understanding uh, who we are and where we've been. Do you incorporate that? I know it's, it's a bit deep, but when you're telling your destination story or the broader brand story, is that something you have? Is it lurking in the background or do you, do you speak quite openly and honestly about it? I, I should say, if you're listening to this, there's a beautiful picture of Nelson Mandela right behind you, which you know is a constant reminder of what's been achieved there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I also, I lived in Germany for 10 years and you'll know the Germans are more proactive than any other nation that I'm aware of in terms of engaging with themselves on their own negative um, past and have certainly allowed it to weave into their culture and into their identity as a nation. And I think that certainly the same is true for South Africa. The cultures within Cape Town and the Western Cape are there's such a missed opportunity if we do not talk about how it came to pass that they are here. I mean, there's a story of, and this, this story is one that's really close to my heart that we really need to start telling more of, which is the story of the first man. So the first man, from a history perspective, is the people that were identified to have had the first language and the first art to depict stories. So the first storytellers, and they are the koi. And they lived here in, in the Western Cape. And a lot of the words that we in South Africa still use, which we all think is just normal South African vernacular, actually come from that language, from the Khoi language. And they were, you know, through, you know, the occupation by the Europeans, but also through other tribal migrations across the, the continent, were at some point really sort of pushed back into a corner. And, you know, potentially even you could even say that they were not quite exterminated, but they were certainly, you know, their tribal lines were diluted and there was a lot of active sort of suppression that happened there. 
And that is a fantastic, but still the beauty of that story is that these people brought us language and these people brought us storytelling. And so at Westgrow, we have a, a concept called the cradle of human culture, which are a couple of different itineraries that we've planned where we encourage travelers to expose themselves to a number of these sort of touch points where you can hear that story and where you can really sort of marvel at where all this sort of stuff comes from. But yeah, certainly from an apartheid history perspective, I think that is something that we do actively include in our identity and in the brand of the place. You know, I mean, I think every international traveler, when they come here, visits Robben Island, you know, or visits the prison where Nelson Mandela was released. You ignore the negative sides of your past at your peril because ultimately, from a personality profile perspective, in order to be a well-rounded personality, you need to also have dark sides um, that can allow the light to shine. So from a place brand perspective, we, I think, actively include uh, where we've come from and that, and in fact, that we still haven't arrived where we need to arrive. If you're enjoying this conversation and finding it useful, you'll also find our City Nation Place Global Conference even more interesting. It will take place in London on November the 9th and 10th, 2022. And we'll be bringing together place brand and marketing specialists from around the world. Todd's going to be just one of our expert leaders on the speaker platform. You can find out more on the conference and the City Nation Place Awards at citynationplace.com. I hope to see you there. But let's get back to the conversation between Todd and Monica. Like you, I'm working in a region within the country. So Tasmania is a state within Australia, a Western Cape is a province within South Africa. Uh, I know it can be tricky sometimes. You can have this sort of competition within uh, the, the country. How do you work with your friends in tourism, South Africa, and also just you know, the South African brand when people are making assumptions or maybe they don't understand? How do you elegantly move between those two and then, and then work with those partners? Well, I've got a little bit of a secret weapon in that I worked at the National Tourism Office for four years. So I have a little bit of history there and therefore have still have, thankfully, great colleagues that still work there. So from a collaboration perspective within the tourism space, it's very seamless and very connected. And, you know, the national play and the provincial plays fit perfectly into each other. So from a tourism perspective, we're talking about getting a good space. And that's sort of the takeout for us in our campaign. And at the moment, and the SA Tourism guys are talking about Live Again, which is a similar sort of emotional benefit, I suppose. So from that perspective, we play really nicely. From a barrier perspective, the challenges of national oftentimes become the challenges of, of the Western Cape through no fault of our own. And that obviously is a problem. The terrible floods that the guys in KwaZulu-Natal have just had or the insurrection that um, happened last year this time, you know, it, it, it impacts the place brand of South Africa and therefore ultimately also will impact on the brand of the Western Cape. But you have to take the rough with the smooth, you know, so I think that there are also reasons why the Western Cape benefits from the brand of South Africa. You know, I mean, the, the Nelson Mandela brand is something that benefits the entire country, including the Western Cape. So I think you've got to, as I said, take the rough with the smooth when it comes to that sort of thing. The, the big challenges we've got, obviously, is that decisions oftentimes get made, particularly now coming out of COVID, decisions get made at national level, which we at a provincial level find difficult to, to accept, you know, whether it's travel restrictions or whether it's a state of disaster regulations or gathering sizes or all of those strange sort of things that have been happening. Um, those all get done at a, at a central level and then in a decentral place you struggle 
But from a place brand perspective, I think there's one place brand that we have to speak about too, which, and I don't know if Todd, you've got that in your context, but there's also an Africa brand. And as we at, at South Africa or at Western Cape level experienced through, through the pandemic, oftentimes we just all get lumped into this blurry blob of the new world where, you know, there isn't infrastructure and there can't possibly be anyone that has any scientific um, acumen and, you know, it's dangerous and it's risky and it's, it's not for me, you know. And so, and so there's an Africa brand and then there's a South Africa brand and then if you're lucky, people know where the Western Cape is. And so that's that sort of terrain of needing to navigate those sorts of brand flavors within your own place brand, I think is something that we also still creating some muscle memory around at West Grove. Yeah, that's, that's tricky and as an element that, that some people don't have to deal with in, the, in these roles, that's for sure. One of the things that we have in our legislation and the work we're doing is, is the community itself and understanding that what the community is doing, building, creating, is so much a big part of our brand. In fact, a lot of our projects are just here in Tasmania and then we, we tell that story once it's, it's launched. Uh, is that something you think about there and how do you equip that community? Were they involved in the research process to arrive at your place brand? Yeah, so so we definitely didn't do a sort of outreach into the communities in terms of the place brand. That could definitely be something that we can still look at in terms of alignment at a future time. What we did do is we went grassroots up in terms of our tourism strategy. So our 10-year tourism strategy very much started in terms of analyzing what the strengths, opportunities, threats, and weaknesses were at sort of local level, and then laddered them up from there. What we do do in the tourism team really well is that we work with the regional tourism and the local tourism teams within the province actively. I would say even monthly, we have conversations with them about what's happening in their space, how we collaborate, the role that the West Grow tourism team can play in terms of promoting those experiences that are happening. We also at West Grow and the tourism team support, I think it's in excess of 50 local leisure events across the province, everything from a, a fish and sweet potato festival in in a little town on the coast to some cycle tour or an ultra marathon within the province, just to sort of in, increase attention and increase understanding and increase com- commercial activity for that place um, within the province. So there is very much that sort of involvement. We do delineate and distinguish um, between the developmental mandate and the promotional mandate at, at, in the Western Cape and the developmental mandate for tourism and for any SMME sort of business sits within the department. So the government actively develops, identifies and develops and, and, and sort of mentors small and medium-sized businesses. And then Westgrow takes over when they are market ready. So we are the team that gives them access Within creating access, of course, there is always a degree of mentorship, I suppose, teaching people what is required in order for them to be market ready. So as an example, in the tourism space, does your experience have sufficient parking? Does your experience have a website? Does your experience have a pricing strategy? Can you even take it to market? So those sorts of things we certainly get involved in and we make sure that we expose those that are ready to be exposed and we educate where there is still a knowledge gap. Do you have some nice alignment between the department and then the supply side and demand side, I suppose? Um, I've seen some places, and certainly it's been a problem almost everywhere, I've seen that where uh, someone will come in and say, 
help me develop my tourism product. And then the folks who are going to have to sell it might say, we don't need that. We already have too many of those, or I don't think you understand the audience that we're going for, et cetera. How do you navigate that without uh, upsetting people? So that's a really great question. Um, thankfully, thankfully, the relationship between ourselves and our department is incredibly strong. My counterpart, I suppose, at, at government level is a really smart lady and her and I speak on a regular basis and she deeply understands tourism. I think certainly from a tourism perspective, to my astonishment, having spent the entirety of my career in tourism, I'm discovering how few people actually understand tourism. And so that's why I find your question so great, Todd, because I think you, it is it is quite possible and actually almost forgivable to make the wrong decision around which businesses to support. But thankfully, we have a really smart lady sitting in the department who is completely in sync with what tourism is and what it isn't. And her and the team were the ones that actually created the tourism strategy from the ground up. So she's been the one that's gone into those places and said, these are the gaps and this is what we need to identify. And this was this is. This is what we already have enough of. And I have to say that it is probably in one of the ways in which the Western Cape tourism play is so, is quite unique in the, in the national context is that there is such a strong alignment between, between the, the real sort of government side of things and the, and the executional promotional side of things. All right. Well, I guess this is a bit of extension on what I just asked there or what you answered, but what about the off-brand activity. I'm sure you and your team understand exactly what this place feels like, what our product is, who are our people. And then things happen that are completely outside of your control, whether it's specifically in tourism or anything else that really impacts the place brand. How do you address it as a, as a team or as a community? Well, I mean, I mean, one of the things that you could very certainly call off-brand would be hunting safaris, right? So that's definitely something that happens. It happens in the Western Cape province. It happens at national level. And yet the safari is the thing that the country certainly is one of the things that the country sort of promotes itself at as having really good of good experiences in. But I think the, the market, we just allow the market to take care of itself there. I mean, you know, the hunting thing is, it is something that happens, to be honest, you know, humanitarian needs aside, it's, it's a really important revenue generator for some of the poorer communities in the country. Where we did, when I was still at National, I'm going to now say, where we did get involved was with the the canned lion sort of thing when there were these sort of safaris where you were petting animals that were then ultimately no longer rehabilitatable. That was the sort of area where we did get involved. But essentially, you know, if if sufficient people come to your place because they have responded to your brand, then that should by and large mean that you're ultimately taking care of driving demand into the spaces that are off-brand. All right. Well, so you came into the role in 2021, a very strange time to come into a, a destination marketing role. What are you looking forward to now that things uh, begin to open up? What's the first thing that, that you'll try to do? My big focus at the moment always grows. Tourism team's big focus at the moment is our skills shortage. And I'm quite sure that's a global phenomenon as well. Having just spent time in the UK and Germany at the beginning of the month, they are, you know, crying over the same sort of problems. And so the skills shortage within the sector is a big concern for us in terms of our ability to recover. And so I, I really don't want us to start drinking from a fire hose again in terms of tourism numbers because we just aren't set up to 
to service that kind of demand right away. And we have to focus quite strongly on encouraging people back into the sector. You know, I think that's one of the bigger problems in terms of brand. If you want to talk about brand, the tourism brand has really suffered as an employer of choice globally, I think, through this pandemic. And I think that that's something that we all as tourism marketers need to consider investing some effort into for our place. So that's the one thing that I would really start looking forward to. The other thing that I that I think we should focus on quite substantially, and this is a national issue which we at, at provincial level feel very strongly about, and that is work visas and flexibility from national around those. Because at the moment, South Africa is quite restrictive in terms of their ability to permit skills visas, critical skills visas to come into the country. And tourism is not one of those that's regarded as a critical skill, certainly not language speaker skills. And so that would be something. And then, of course, our digital nomads. We obviously would love to be able to formalize some kind of encouragement for international solopreneurs and other digital nomads to come into the Western Cape and, and work from there. And then I guess my final point that I would sort of dream of or, or hope for is one of the things that we really struggled with through COVID was the people needing the government and needing decision makers and needing policy makers to understand the power of tourism, particularly for, in a, for a place like South Africa or like the Western Cape. You know, the power of tourism, you, we, we experienced it almost emotionally when the tourists weren't here. You know, you could see what it, what was missing, you know, and, and you could feel the absence of the contribution that tourism normally makes. And so my wish is that going forward, certainly at South African and at Western Cape level, people remember and, re and retain the memory of how important tourism is for a place and that it isn't just about the bum in the bed or the bum on the airplane seat, but it is actually about the, the halo effect of economic contribution to a place that a tourist can bring. Oh, thanks, Monica. It's a, it's a nice final thought, and I look forward to getting back there. Thanks very much for, for this conversation. Thank you both. It was a fascinating conversation. I, I have taken lots of notes. <laughs> we're planning for the global conference. A lot of what you said resonated with what we're hearing, you know, from other people around the world. And I think that where tourism, you know, sits within the broader economy is, is obviously where, where we sit quite a lot in terms of bringing together tourism, economic development, people at City Nation Place. And I've written down, how do we not squander that understanding that came to everybody during the pandemic and, and you know that should be a driver for, for, for better collaboration so thanks very much <laughs>